Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, it is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor. As always, the easiest way to shop for the best tickets thanks to their revolutionary grading system. Buy and sell tickets and two taps on your phone, everything fully guaranteed. Hey, football fans, you're out there. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on NFL tickets, use promo code BSNFL. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by... DirecTV, for over 20 years, DirecTV has been the exclusive home for NFL Sunday Ticket. Good news. They've expanded the service. You can now get it if you live in an apartment, you're an enrolled college student, whatever. You don't need a satellite. To see if you're eligible, go online to NFLSundayTicket.tv and stream every NFL Sunday Ticket game this season. Use promo code RINGER at checkout to save 15%. And we are brought to you by the Rewatchables. Our newest podcast where we rewatch re old movies. This week we are doing You Got Mail. Juliet Libman and Amanda Dobbins are hosting. I did the first three. We launched a bunch of new podcasts uh, this summer, including House of Carbs with Joe House. He had Malcolm Gladwell on last week. Ringer FC, our new soccer podcast. And we, I guess, binge mode Game of Thrones technically counts. We launched that uh, in the late spring. That is finally over. Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion are probably going to a spa and decomposing with the White Walkers for a couple of weeks. Check out the Ringer Podcast Network. Lots of good stuff. And don't forget to check out theringer.com as well because this is our time, man. Football season, basketball, it's all happening. And it's all happening here in the BS Podcast where you're going to have Willie McGinnis, the former Patriot. Good stuff coming up, but first Pearl Jam. <laughs> Super Bowl champ Willie McGinnis, the champ. What's up, buddy? See, all, all the OG Pats fans <laughs> have a special affection for the guys from the from the original era. They do the 01 to 04 when we never imagined the Patriots could win one Super Bowl. Now it's funny. Now America hates the Patriots. They this incredible Belichick Brady dynasty, the whole thing. <laughs> It's inconceivable to anybody. Like if you, if I went back in time and explained this to myself in 2000, I just wouldn't have believed it. You must be hard for you to believe. Um, it, you know, it is a little surreal, and just being there when we were building things from the from the 90s, and 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 then when we hit, you know, mid 2000s, when all the magic started to happen, and to be gone, retire, and see the magic still happening. <laughs> I mean, just think about it. I mean, they they, they still lost two Super Bowls. Yeah. What if they would have won those two Super Bowls? It, like, could you imagine? It, it will probably it, it would probably have been the greatest, or probably still could be the greatest franchise in sports history. You know, it's seven Super Bowls, and really the only one that they definitely should have won is the Eagles one. They they really could have lost the other six. Couple plays go one way or the other. You just don't That's know. True. Came down to having a great kicker. Yeah, you know, a lot. Of, shout out to to Adam Vinatieri, one of my one of my good friends. But you know the the thing with that is the two minute drives. Yeah, quarter good quarterback play. Um, good offensive play. Good defensive play. Getting you know putting the offense in position, and then you got to execute when the game's on the line. And, and and now when I watch games, Bill, I I, I watch a little differently. But in crucial situations, when the game is on the line, when you need to make plays, 
when you need your stars to step up, when you need a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, like I watched him drive the field in a minute 42 to win yeah. the game in the playoffs against Dallas. Like, I mean, he, he had almost no time on the clock. Um, Dak had just went down and scored, and everybody's like, does he have enough time? And that's, to me, the sign of a great – I don't use the word great a lot, but a great quarterback or a great player who who was clutch when you need him to be clutch. And good coaching. And habits, good coaching. Habits that become – Things that decide games, like Malcolm Butler having practiced that play in the <laughs> Seattle Super exactly. Bowl. It's incredible. They have the footage of he's getting torched by, like, I think it was Josh Boyce. He played it wrong. He broke played too late. Wrong multiple They're yelling times. at him. <laughs> multiple and then times. the play happens in the Super Bowl, and he's ready for it. Yeah, I mean, I would say the over-under for they went 5-2 and two in the Super Bowl. If you played all those, probably four and a half up and down. It could have been four and three, I think, is realistic. But I like five and two. Yeah, five and two is pretty good. <laughs> and it really, as you said, it really could have been seven and oh with a couple of plays. Helmet catch doesn't happen. Um, Manningham on the sideline of Manningham, the other one doesn't happen. The great catch that, uh, you know, Eli threw between Chung and the cornerback, like a the perfect sideline throw. Or I mean, if Gronk's even healthy in that game. I'm always convinced. I've said this on the pod so many times, but like in football, the way it is now, especially with the cap, there's maybe every year there's four to eight teams that are probably the the realistic ones that right. can win. And you get in these games, and who the hell knows? No, you, you know don't. it could go like that Atlanta game. If you played that game ten times, first of all, if you play that game a hundred times, twenty eight to three, I think the Pats might win two of them. But it's tough, you know that they, those teams are really close, and the Pats could not stop Atlanta's offense for the most part. A and lot of people couldn't stop. Yeah, that they offense. were ripping through people. Right. So it's different when, like, when you were coming of age in the late '90s, I do feel like the right team won the game most of the time. I think, the like in basketball, I think the most prepared team uh, would win the game. The team who plays better situational football in certain times of the game. I think that's like Belichick and, and, and I would say there's, you know, Pete Carroll there. Like I can go down the line. There's some coaches, um, McCarthy, I would say uh, with green Bay. Um, there's certain coaches that play great situational football. And if you surveyed, Interesting you threw McCarthy in there. Yeah. Okay. Because you've seen Aaron Rodgers do it. At yeah. Certain, you know, I don't know how much of that is Rodgers and how well, much is McCarthy. you still got to have a game plan, right? True. You still got to put somebody in position to do that, you yeah. know? And then, like you said, it, it, it's about the player. You can only do so much. You can put them in position and the player has to go out and execute. But when you go and you watch other teams practice like I do now and you talk to players, you see how much time they really spend on situational football. That's not really popular in a lot of – organizations or a lot of teams like we would have entire practices just based on situations where we were put in situations okay it's fourth and two here's the down here's a score this is what you have to do go and no coaches could help and mm. you have to figure it out and we would be in practice at times and say you know what some of this stuff is never going to happen in the game and then when it happens in the game you're sitting there like Deja vu, like we just went over this. So you're yeah. prepared and you don't panic and you're comfortable and you 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 kind of think it and you play it out. And you, nine times out of ten, it would work itself out and we would win that situation. 
But there's a lot of teams that get into those situations and something happens. A player has a mental error. Um, they don't execute. Somebody lines up in the wrong spot. Uh, the play doesn't happen the way they think because they've never went over that situation time yeah. and time again. And that's all preparation. And I think the best coaches in the league take their players through those type of practices and those type of situations. So when they do happen, like in the Super Bowl this year, like that was some great situational some football. Two, some two-point conversions, all that stuff. All that stuff. Amazing. Halftime adjustments. You go out at halftime, you make an adjustment, and things just night and day. You played for, in succession, Bill Parcells, Pete Carroll, yeah. Bill Belichick. <laughs> I would argue those that's got to be three of the top five most successful coaches of the past 30 years. At least around 10 Super Bowls or something like that, something crazy. Yeah, and if you throw in what Pete did at USC – so let's start which, with, I, which I would love because that's yeah, my yeah. alma mater, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. I would love, you know, I, I love that. Um, let's start. Let's go Parcells first. So you show up. What year were you drafted? I forget. 94. 94, yeah. Yep. Um, the Pats are a joke. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lifelong Boston fan. They were the black sheep. We grew, When I was growing up, it was 1976. We should have beaten the Raiders. Sugar Bear Hamilton, third and 17, rough in the passer. Most bogus call. That's my guy. Um, he was my coach, too. He's one of my D-line coaches with Pete. That's right. Yeah. Unbelievable, awful call. And we talk about that for the rest of the 70s. In the 80s, we make the Super Bowl. 85. We win in Miami. We beat we beat Oakland. They get killed by the Bears. There's a drug scandal <laughs> two days later. And the team's immediately terrible again. Uh, they almost move. Almost moves to St. Louis. Parcel saves them. Bledsoe shows up. Right. We get you the next year. Um, and for the Pats fans that loved, you know, when you're buying the jerseys, there's different types of Massachusetts fans. The the bandwagon just buy whoever the quarterback is. Right. The people who buy the cool running back or receiver. But there's a lot of people there that buy who's our best front seven defensive player. Right. There's a lot of Willie jerseys out there is my point. You, you, you were adopted by a big percentage, including my buddy Jay Buck. Yeah. Where they were like, that's 55, that's our dude. We're doing it. That's because Tippett was the previous generation. Tippett, Tippett was. Tippett is still, man, like the man there. Like, that's my guy. He's one of my mentors. And, yeah. Uh, he's one of the guys Patriot. I watched. Right. So you up. go in, the team's good now. 94, we make the playoffs. I'm going to use we like I played. Right. We lose um, to Cleveland. Lose to Cleveland, but semi winnable game. It was promising. Right. 95 step back. The 96 team's coming. That's the team I always felt like we're a year away from being a Super Bowl team. But then somehow that team made the Super Bowl. We did. And I don't then think Parcells a lot of people, gone. A lot of people didn't think we were going to go to the Super Bowl. Denver should have made the Super Bowl that year. And they Why? lost. They, they, lost beat us at at home. Home. they beat us at home, right? Well, Denver kind of owned us in the 90s. They did. And it was like, all right, well, Denver, they'll win one more. But then next year's, but then Brunel goes in a mile high and beats them. Now all of a sudden we're playing Brunel. At home. Now all of a sudden we're in the Super Bowl and it took five seconds for everyone in Massachusetts and New England to be like, we're winning. We're beating Brett Favre. <laughs> I still feel like they could have won that game too. Uh, the Howard know, kickoff is haunting even though there's five Super Bowls since. And then can I tell you something about that? Troy Brown was supposed to be on kickoff. They took him off, right? They took him off because of, of an injury and they didn't know if he was ready. And I guess they were trying to save him a little bit. So Troy ended up not being on the kickoff. We had another guy in that exact same lane that Howard broke. Yeah. 
he got out of his lane. He lost discipline lane. We call it like lane discipline. That is the exact same spot. Troy Brown, I guarantee a thousand percent would have been in and made that play. I just and that remember, was the momentum swing. Yeah. I remember they were showing Reggie White getting oxygen on the sidelines. Watching this thinking like this team's we're keeping them on defense on the field. They're getting tired. But let's go backwards. We said that, and then something yeah, and then happened. That he, he must have heard us because he got mad. <laughs> yeah, they took over the game. Yeah, all of a sudden he was fine. Um, but go backwards, though. You're a rookie. You get Parcells as your coach. Yep. Ultimately, this is a great thing for you. Did you realize that at the time? Uh, I didn't even know I was getting drafted by New England until he called me on draft day to say, I'm, I'm taking you with the number four pick. I had visited. You knew you were a top five pick. I didn't know that. Well, I knew I, well, actually I kind of did. I was, I was originally supposed to go to Dallas. They were going to trade up to the fifth pick. They're going to trade Alvin Harper, the receiver, and they were going to take to the Rams and for the fifth pick and they were going to take me. So I had all the rep, rep, representatives what, from you Dallas. You a cowboy? Yeah. I had oh, all, I just got to chill down my I had, spine. I had all those guys from Dallas at my draft party. I stayed home, had a draft party with my friends and family. I had about three representatives from Dallas there. Yeah. The Dallas, the Dallas hat was on the table. Um, they were there and they were going to take me fifth pick. Um, they were going to trade up and take me fifth pick. So I thought I was going to Dallas actually. No, no conversations with Parcells. I visited once. Um, we had an interesting conversation when I was there. Um, yeah, and that is, was it. Why'd you smile when you said interesting? Because he, he was a dick? No. He showed me two tapes. Oh. He showed me one tape where I had a bad game and one tape against Penn State where I had a great game. And he's like, if I draft you, which Willie McGinnis am I going to get? And I was like, of course, that one. I was like, I had a bad game. You know, yeah. like, that's not me. I said, look at the rest of the tape. He's like, I know what the rest of the tape looks like. I'm asking you, which guy am I going to get? And I'm like, there's no question you're going to get that guy, the Penn State guy. And he was like, all right, kid. And that was it. I didn't come in for a personal workout, anything. That was it. Was Did your career turn out better than it should have because of Parcells or exactly the same? I'm going to say better. Okay. Um, because I was used to that type of coaching coming in. Um, I learned a lot. Uh, he did some things in my infant stages that helped me as a player develop like and as a man. Um, with my positioning... Uh, he knew every position on the field. One of the smartest football minds you would ever, you know, imagine. Um, he knew how to get players motivated. I would say to say, I'm sure you understand, you know that you were around yeah. then. Um, he brought in Lawrence Taylor, like my childhood idol, um, to help me in camp my rookie season. Oh, wow. To talk to and listen to and, and get some pointers to, from, um, and just the way he coached. I was, you know, I understood that you can make a few plays and that's, it's, it's not enough. Like he wouldn't acknowledge until you were consistently doing what you needed to do. And I respected that. And it made guys want to do more and more. So I would say from, for my infant stages, that is what, you know, that's priceless for a football player. So he'd throw you the compliment when you didn't expect it. He'd throw you the insult when you thought you were feeling great about yourself. Exactly. Kept you humble. He was always. Like the new song, Kendrick Lamar, sit down, be humble. <laughs> <laughs> that was, you know, stop jumping around. Stop getting all excited. Yeah. You just made a play. You're supposed to do that. Right. He instilled that in my mind. Like you make a tackle, 
why are you getting up celebrating? You are supposed to do that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you're right. I am. It was so interesting as a Pats fan during that time because the team had been so rudderless and we had so many coaches and so many owners and up until Bledsoe, the best player in the history of the franchise was John Hanna, who was like a left guard. Yeah. It's like, how do you get excited about well, that? He's a beast, though. Hey, he was I mean, the best left guard of all time. Was. That was right. all we had. I was like, hey, once upon a time, we had the best left guard ever. But then to have Parcells come in, it was almost, it was like having a broken home and then all of a sudden having a dad show up and just be like, I always trusted him. He would have these great press conferences. He had good taste in players. <laughs> and it was just life altering. Not only I was like, that, wow, the team's in good hands finally. Not only that, but just remember also, um, that's the first year that um, Mr. Kraft bought the team. Yes. So there was a lot going on. And I was Mr. Kraft's first pick in right. buying a team. So now I'm called the fifth son. Um, and I mean, I, I appreciate everything. That's, I hope that's lucrative for you. <laughs> Check it in his will. <laughs> hey, he's done a lot for me. And I appreciate yeah. everything. But um, Parcells, Mr. Kraft, Brian, the team, you start to see the change start to happening. The culture change and things start to start to change a little bit with, with, with that franchise. And uh, I was just I was fortunate to be right there from the ground, from the ground up. You caught you guys caught New England sports at a, at the right time too because like the Celtics had just cratered. Oh yeah, Bird and McHale were gone. Reggie Lewis tragically died, and all of a sudden that team stunk. The Bruins had had this great run. Cam Neely got hurt. All of a sudden they were in the dumps. The Red Sox, the '86 World Series hangover. The Clemens era was kind of over. Then all of a sudden you guys rise, and football just took off. I mean, they were always like the diehard Pats fans, but right. it wasn't, it was never, ever. Wasn't that like any, a Red Sox town? It was Red Sox and then Larry Bird. There's right. Bobby Orr, Larry Bird, but then Red Sox. And right. then that was the first time the Pats DNA took over. And all of it led to this improbable Super Bowl season when playing the Packers, this is great. This is the next dynasty. Not yet. And then, <laughs> and then Parcells is gone. Yeah. But, as as I gotta say, just as as a as a diehard, um, I, I don't never. I still hold it against Parcells the way he left, and the fact that the team had an inkling of it, even as the Super Bowl is coming, and that yeah. and there was turmoil that I thought affected the team heading into the game. What did you think you were on the team? I think that he did everything he could uh, to keep all the distractions away. Did um, it work? We, I don't think guys were distracted by it. I got, I think guys kind of probably had some type of notion that something was going on, but he, I will say he, he kept all the distractions away. He did not talk about leaving. He didn't talk about any of that stuff or what he had planned or what was going on until after the game was over. Yeah. Um, we heard rumors and things like that. And of course, you know, you're normal, you're, you're human, you have questions or whatever, but. He kept us focused on what we needed to do, um, regardless of what he had going on personally or what you know his plans were. It never really spilled into our preparation or what we were doing for that week. What was the story after after the game? He didn't ride with the team. Well, was we that had conversations. He did. He he had conversations with certain guys, and I was one of those guys that he had a conversation with that said he appreciated me and he loved me, and you know. Um, 
all the hard work and all the things that, you know, we put into getting there. He, you know, the effort and, you know, we had a conversation and that's when he told me like, I'm, I won't, you know, I won't do this anymore. I I won't be here. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel betrayed when he went to the Jets? Yeah. I mean, I, I was hurt because, you know, that was, that was the man that drafted me, him and Mr. Kraft. And that was, you know, that was somebody I, I look forward to going forward, I, especially getting to a Super Bowl in your second year. You're like, wow, like we really got something special here. Yeah. And um, to see him like, you know, and, and and I was naive. I was young. I didn't know how this stuff worked. I figured he's going to be my coach, you know, forever. <laughs> this is yeah. my head coach. He's not going anywhere. Um, because when you have that much success, why would you why would you mess things up? I was going to say, if you looked just after 96, what two teams are in the best shape in the NFL would have been the Packers and the Pats. Right. Both young teams built around quarterbacks on the rise and good defensive players. And you would have guessed like that they were going to play in the Super Bowl a couple more times. Right. Maybe Denver's in that discussion too, because they had TD and Elway at that point. Yeah. Yeah. But that was, those were the, those were the teams. But that next year's team was the better team from a talent standpoint. Guys were, and I, I still have bitterness about that season. As a, just as I've always feel like I wish, I wish it had been one more year with before the Parcells thing self combusted. Right. Because I think that '97 team would have won. You never know. You never know. Yeah. You never never know. know. It's a great what if. I it mean, worked out. It, it, it I'm did. not arguing with how it worked out. I, I'm not complaining. I mean, it, it worked out. You know, it worked out for everybody. Let's take a quick break to talk about Gillette. Yeah, Gillette. Home of Gillette Stadium. Well, technically not the home. They named it Gillette Stadium. I guess they made it the home. But did you know the tip of a Gillette razor blade is measured on an atomic scale, meaning their blade edges are thinner than a single brain cell? Oh, yeah. That precision is the work of many brain cells, hundreds of members of Gillette's research and development team that have spent over 4,700 years combined working to make your shape closer. And more comfortable. That is longer than the Egyptian pyramids have been around. Or so they tell me. I have no idea when the Egyptian pyramids showed up. But while over a thousand craftsmen and women in Boston, my favorite city, are busy making your blades, another team is putting your blades through more than 60 extremely strict and precise quality checks. Fail just one of these tests and it doesn't leave the factory. In other words, the hardworking people at Gillette never stop working to make your blades better. And now... That includes the price tag. You can get Gillette Blades at their lowest prices in years. Please see for yourself at GilletteOnDemand.com. Gillette, the best a man can get. Pricing applies to select products and is at the sole discretion of the retailer. Again, see for yourself at GilletteOnDemand.com. And since you were here, speaking of football, for over 20 years, DirecTV has been the exclusive home for NFL Sunday Ticket, the only way to get every live game Every Sunday. And one of the only reasons I allowed myself to move to Los Angeles, because once DirecTV was a thing, you could live wherever you wanted and watch your favorite football team, baseball team, basketball team, whatever. Good news, NFL fans. DirecTV has expanded the service. If you live in an apartment or you are an enrolled college student, you can now get NFL Sunday ticket without one of those satellites. Just get it streaming. To see if you're eligible, go online to NFLSundayTicket.tv. Stream every NFL Sunday ticket game this season. Follow your team no matter where you live. Use promo code Bill Simmons. Guess what? You save 15% with that promo code. Once again, that's NFL Sunday Ticket.tv. Promo code Bill 
Simmons, watch all the football you want. Knock yourself out. NFL Sunday Ticket TV. Carroll comes in. You felt like it, it just seemed like obviously he turned out to be a great coach. I'm as shocked as anyone. I thought he was a disaster. But there were more <laughs> things maybe that I didn't give credit for, like just how hard it is to follow Parcells certain things established in the locker room, a certain culture that all of a sudden this guy comes in, he's completely different. Right. What did you, why did it not work in your opinion? Well, you got to remember that Parcells established uh, a, a type of culture, um, a type of player. Um, and when you get all the players that you want in, in the locker room and then another coach comes in, that's like, that's totally opposite. Um, you know, I think he had more energy, to say the least, um, a more of a, a a happy, you know, rah-rah type attitude. His coaching style was different. The way he talked and the way he approached things was totally different. Uh, he didn't rule with an iron fist. And I think we had... And you had a lot of young dudes on that team. That's the problem. Did we you had, need an iron fist coach? You well, probably did. you know what? God, they're, they're men. But some guys took advantage of the way you know, Pete was, and they didn't respect it and they didn't do what they needed to do. So I think he got veterans to do, you know, certain guys to do what they needed to do, but there were other guys who just took advantage of the situation and didn't. Um, what was that famous, the it. famous concert? It was Bledsoe and a couple other people. They were <laughs> stage diving at a concert during the week. Everyone in Boston went nuts. They was rocking out, man. Yeah. You it's know. like, what are these guys doing? Well, guys do that all Why the time. Why are you having fun at a concert? I you know. should be winning football games. Right. They forget we we, we have personal lives, too. But. I mean, you have to admit, the Boston fans are pretty hands-on. They are when something bad happens, <laughs> you know? As long as you're winning, radio it's okay. Going. Yeah, if you win, it's fine. They got the sports radio yeah. just critiquing everything in well, the you newspapers. Know about that. Well, you yeah. were, you were there. You're a sports guy, right? What, I know, but what? I was, I was young when I was, yeah, I was like writing for nobody, but I always felt like there was a negativity with the media that I think when things went, you have like guys like Shaughnessy coming in. You think it was, you think it was a spillover like that New York, that New York media kind of, like we had a spillover yeah, from that kind of? A little of. bit, yeah. It was negative. Well, if you're not winning, here's the thing. If, if you're winning, things are kind of overlooked a little bit more, but if you're winning and things are going well, then it's okay. Man, I think Pete's first year, I think we started off like seven and one, something crazy right. before the bye week. Yeah. So there was a lot of positive energy and a lot of positive going on. But then we ended up, I believe, eight and eight. <laughs> right. So my theory in this is, and you'll, you'll appreciate this because you're from here and you live here now. The cold weather cities, I think it almost means too much. Yeah. When you, when you're in a, you know, you have these New England winters when it's like, five months a year but it's just brutal and then the summer comes and it's 100 degrees and you know i th i think it drives people a little bit crazy and the teams take on this kind of mystical level of importance whereas out here it's like eh, it's 80 degrees again today or an export yeah or whatever yeah, all right so that, much going on yeah no there's what? so much it, it just i i just think people are lunatics and i include myself because that's my dna obviously i go nuts for the for my teams, but man, the, the Pat stuff, it, people were so mad that the team wasn't going to get back to the Super Bowl. Oh, and no. like, we have so much talent. What is wrong? And it's Pete Carroll's fault. I include myself. I thought Pete Carroll was like a school teacher. You know, it was like the substitute teacher that came in because Parcells <laughs> was on vacation. Drastic. It was different, right? Yeah. Just so, it was so different. And 
He was. I mean, he was different, but I, he was still a really good coach. So you left the Pete Carroll experience thinking like, that guy's a good coach. He got a raw deal with this. He did. And yeah. it was proven when he went to my alma mater. Yeah. He went to SC. And, so when USC and, hired uh, him, you were like, this is great. This guy's going to do well. I pushed for it. I was, I was one of his biggest supporters. Like, oh, wow. I, I was alumni. Like I was telling Mike Garrett at the time, who was the athletic director, it was, Pete was probably his fifth or sixth choice, but he was like my number one. I'm like, this guy has the energy for college football. This guy will get these players to play at a certain level. He will bring SC back. So you told Mike Garrett, I'll contribute to our secret slush fund to get the recruits. <laughs> I'll put an extra 100K of my salary if you get SC this guy. SC didn't need my little bit of money. <laughs> but uh, me and Pete had the same agent. Yeah. yeah oh, that had, helps. We had the same agent. So yeah. I was pulling for Pete, and I just knew just – just like I said, his coaching style, he, and, and and that's big with recruiting, and you're recruiting kids out of high school, and you're at a prestigious university, and like you said, you're in California. The energy's different. That energy matched Pete perfectly, yeah. and I just thought it was a no-brainer, yeah. and some people doubt it, and some people had their reservations about him coming in, and all right, we'll give it a shot. But then when they start winning, everybody start beating their chest, taking the credit. Like, oh, I made this great choice. And we knew he was the guy the entire time. And I was just sitting back like, okay. I was <laughs> I was living here during almost all of that. And in the 06 team that had the famous Rose Bowl game against Vince Young, those guys were celebrities here. They I mean, it's so hard to stand out in Los Angeles as a celebrity. That was the only but team. Remember, and Reggie we didn't Bush, have a team. Yeah. We didn't the, have an NFL team at the time. Yeah, they the, were our NFL team. The, and literally, they're probably, some of those guys were probably making as much money as an <laughs> NFL team. <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about yeah. that. Uh, but yeah, those guys, I mean, that was a moment. It was yeah. a thing. That Rose Bowl was incredible. It was. And I remember watching that game from the hotel. I don't know if we we're in the playoffs or if we we're on the road, but I remember watching that game on the playoffs. And I was sick to my stomach when we lost. I just knew we were going to win again. I win another national championship. I was excited, but you know, again, you got to make plays. Yeah, it's young. Made it some was plays. the last play of the game. Yeah. Um, my thing was, you knew he's going to run. You, you knew the best player, one of the best players on that team was going to. You knew Vince wanted to that that game, that ball in his hands. Like just sitting there watching it from my hotel room, I'm like, Vince is gonna take off with the ball. Yeah. You could play great coverage. I'd rather him throw it. He wasn't the greatest passer. He was not the greatest passer. I would have I I would I I wanted him to throw the ball. Like my thing is make him throw it. If he takes off, now we're in trouble. Right. And guess what? He took off. And I was like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> How many times do you pull the the famous alumni power play of just, hey, I'm going to be on the sidelines for this one, guys. Get my pass well, ready. Well, uh, I don't have to do that because I'm I'm one of the ambassadors to the football program. But you get the special pass. Yeah, so we're still around the football. Like, you know, you got Anthony Munoz. Yeah. Um, Marcus Allen, Ronnie Lott. These are very uh, successful great, football players. The late great Junior Seau, who I got my number from, who was yeah. passed down to me. Um, Lynn Swan, who's the athletic director now, um, you know, there's 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 a few of us that are SE ambassadors. So we're allowed. We have special privileges um, and that's home. Once you're a Tro that's the difference between SC and a lot of schools. Once you're a Trojan, your family, you're always a Trojan. They welcome everybody back. 
the OJ component of this is is a crazy wrinkle, though. I mean, you he's well, there's the a lot most of, famous. There's a lot of wrinkles. Yeah, in, I mean, there's a, all history. kinds of wrinkles. <laughs> but I mean, that's a, that's the most famous SC guy of all time. He is. He is. He's one of. Nah, I, mean, um, I don't know what. I, it's it's kind of hard to elaborate it, on that. It really I mean, is. Um, <laughs> must have been especially strange for you. You're an LA guy and an SC guy. And you're in the NFL when all that stuff goes down. You I must was have been like, what the hell is going on? I was watching on? it. I was watching it from a sports bar. Uh, the car chase at the Mar- at the Marriott Hotel. I was having I was having dinner and I was watching it from a hotel bar. And I you get, must have met OJ, right? Of course, of course, I met OJ. He's one of our you know he's one of our famous alumni. He's one of the greatest football players to play at SC. Yeah. And when we had our banquets at SC, he would you know he would pull up. You know, and he would he would be around and I'm from here. I'm from L.A. I'm from yeah. Long Beach. And like he's he's a superstar. He was a superstar. You know, I think he's he's more known now than <laughs> he probably was then. Yeah, I would say that's true. You know, I'm trying to think who else. So you must have crossed paths with a bunch of people in the 90s. Yeah. Snoop. Well, Snoop, well, you're from the same neighbor, some same town. Same neighborhood. Same neighborhood or same town? It's from Long Beach. Yeah. Snoop's from Long Beach, and he went to Long well, Beach. Long Beach Poly. is a big, big melting big city. pot of talent. Okay, you know about Long Beach. Yeah, I like yeah. Long Beach. So how? Like, so Snoop's taken off. Did you know Snoop before he took off? Absolutely. So we played youth football together, and then we went to you high played school youth together. football with Snoop. Yeah, yeah. You, you. Snoop was like a quarterback, I believe. He played. I football. coached Snoop in the uh, celebrity basketball game in 2014 against Jalen. And my biggest mistake was not playing him more because that dude could rebound. Yeah, he's not bad. He was good. I mean, he's not bad. I try to get him in the weight room a little bit more so he can, you know, he can muscle guys. But that's not. He's more of a finesse guy. In my defense, I mean, he did get high before the game, of which course. I witnessed. So I was like, maybe I won't. Of maybe course. I won't ride Snoop into the ground. And this what did game, he tell you? He said it helps me jump higher. It helps elevate his game. He told me to put him back in. He's like. Coach, put me back in. Now, like he kind of got mad. I was like, I'm not gonna argue with Snoop Dogg. <laughs> he wants to go back in. Snoop's going back in. He's very competitive. He's he was competitive then. Did um, you see the Defiant ones on HBO? Absolutely. I grew up through that area. I was a part of that. Like they did an unbelievable, unbelievable breakdown of the West Coast versus East Coast and how that whole thing deteriorated. And that was just one. That was just one empire. Like that was just. That was just the death row era. That yeah. was just the 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 Snoop and Dre and all those guys. That's just one one music company. Yeah, you know, and it it, it it's crazy. I remember in '92, um, going up to death row with Snoop when he signed. You know, I remember being on a boat at his album release party. I remember a oh lot of different things. Like I, that was my guy. You know, that's that is my guy. That's my brother. And I just remember all those different events. And I'm watching the defined ones. Like, okay, I remember that. I Are remember you looking this for happening. yourself in the the big no, party? No, because I was always out of the way. <laughs> I was I was off doing my thing. I was still in college in '92. Yeah, you know, I was at SC, keeping it low. My junior year, and uh, I just remember going to the video shoots, hanging out, going to the parties, going to the studio. Just watching all this stuff happen, I was just like, "Wow!" So when you watch the Defiant ones, it's kind of like, mm, it's like your home little, time, little timeline. Yeah. What, at what point did you learn I'm not gonna even cross Shug Knight in any way? I'm staying away from that dude. I think me and him had a mutual respect for each other. I don't because well, you were his size. He was probably well, yeah. Like, I never feared. 
I never feared him. Like to me, he was a, you know, he was a businessman and I understood what he was doing. And like I said, it was a mutual respect. You know, everybody has their own interactions with people and ours wasn't, you know, on one of those levels where it's disrespect or whatever. I was Snoop's homeboy and I was playing football. I remember Shug when he was at UNLV playing football. So, you know, we, we kind of connected on different level before the, the music stuff. What position was Suge? I think Suge was like- I don't think like, I knew about his UNLV think, football pass. I think pass. Suge was like a, a, a D lineman, if I'm not mistaken. I was going to, I would have guessed boy. nose tackle or defensive yeah, tackle, one of those somewhere in there. You got to have a certain mentality to play on defense too. So he had yeah, that mentality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or you have to be 360 pounds <laughs> or whatever. Still got to be a little mean. I was watching, uh, not to get sidetracked, but I was watching the, the Pat Seahawks greatest games, like the cool NFL film shoot. With my son, because my son is now into football, so we're kind of going backwards. The Patriots, okay, come on! I kick him sure. out of the house. I'm just making sure. Crazy, okay. uh, but there's they have this one slow mo shot of the line during this one tense part, and it's just Will Fork's belly hanging at hanging out, and <laughs> and the camera pans back to see the whole line, and he was just like, "Dad, I can't believe how big is that guy!" Like he just couldn't believe. I was like. Huge. That's Vince Wilford. It's a nose tackle. <laughs> Those tackles are big. They have to hold up two guys for right. three seconds. Right. While everybody else comes in. But anyway, uh, but in the nineties, Snoop's doing the chronic with Dre, mm-hmm. but nobody knows it's going to be the chronic yet. Was he telling you about that? Well, first he did deep cover. Oh, so yeah, he did the right. single. Yeah. Yeah. He did deep Which, cover. Which by the way is a great one. It is a great one. And remember, like the reason. Like Warren G, Nate Dogg, rest in peace, and Snoop was a group called 213 kind of before they started that. Mm. So they were a Long Beach group trying to make it. So Warren was the producer, Nate was the singer, and Snoop was the rapper. And um, Warren is actually the reason how Dre found out about Snoop because that's his stepbrother. Yeah. And that's how the magic happened with him and, and Dre and then getting on the undercover cop you know, soundtrack. And then from then on, it was, that was it. In my NBA book that I wrote, I have a whole section about how Robert Horry was the Nate dog of the NBA, <laughs> which I'm really proud of. It's how, one of my great how analogies. Relate, how, how do you relate that Nate dog to, to, to Cause Robert, Robert Horry was one of the great role players of all time. Right. He wasn't, he wasn't a superstar, but if you put him with the superstars, he would, he uh-huh. knew his spot. And he would do a couple great things, and he just made contenders better. Now that's what, what Nate Dogg did. Well, Nate actually kind of took off because he was kind of the go-to guy for all the hooks, right? On so all you could say that about Robert Horry with the Rockets in the right. mid '90s. He, he was, was the, like Hakeem's second best teammate, probably. Right. And everybody started going to Nate Dogg for if you wanted a, a a bomb hook or one of the best hooks. Nate Dogg was the guy before all these other guys start singing on raps rap tracks. So you think he was even a little bit better than Robert Horry? Well, uh, I, he kind of had his own lane. Like, I don't know. Like, I think I think Robert Horry had his own lane because he was a big shot Horry, right? He always he was known for the big shot in the, the, big, in the big moment, right? And good defense. And good defense. Guard the other team's best So I think they're kind of the same. That was a good – that's a good – I know. was really proud of that one. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's like when Nate Dogg was involved, it was always – it was never really a bad thing. Nobody no. was ever like, oh, no, Nate Dogg's involved in this song. This isn't going to work out. <laughs> no. Nah. Or you're going to have a hit. Either one. Yeah. I like, I mean, one of my favorite albums from that era was the Above the Rim soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Which kind of fell between, between the, uh, who was your favorite song on that? 
Big Pimpin. Big Pimpin. Yeah. I think I like. That's my, my single favorite Snoop minute from Snoop in any song That's is Big minute. Pimpin. Big Pimpin. He just, he's just like, I, I don't know. <laughs> We'd have to get sidetracked. <laughs> it's just when Snoop had it going, I don't, I don't know what the pan, it's hard to talk about it like the same way we would talk about football quarterbacks or something because a lot of it depends on taste. Right. But I think certain guys like Snoop, I think Biggie was like this, just like for 45 second little riffs, there's just a couple people that just stood out and right. Snoop was definitely one of those people. Yeah. I think his, his, his delivery, his yeah. voice, his I sound think was, like that. His sound was different. Yeah. I mean, JC Jay, doesn't get credit for that. Like he could take, if you oh, just Jay, gave somebody a paragraph. Oh yeah. Jay's a beast. Jay well, definitely now gets People credit. think of him as the mega billionaire Jay-Z, but nah, it's like, man, he just gave him a paragraph of, of lyrics. Boom. He's still one of the coldest lyric, lyricists in the game. I hope people remember that. Yeah. You got his new album, 444? No, because I don't have title. I'm waiting. What is it? Come out on the it's real on, stuff It's yet? on now. You can oh, get no, it I'm ready. You can right. download it. Yeah, right. you can download it. It's 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 pretty. It's pretty. It's a mature, developed, seasoned Jay Z. Seasoned Jay Z. And it's still uh, one of the best. He's still lyrically doing his thing. How about Kendrick? Where do you stand on him? Kendrick's the best right now. He's the best right now. I just went to Kendrick Lamar's concert. Shout out to Top Dog. Entertainment Top Dog is his, his label, um, a friend of mine, and they showed me love, took care of me VIP. Mm. And uh, that's one of the best concerts I've been to. I love concerts. I love music. I love going to, to the venues, and I love looking at <clears throat> the the screens and the stage setup. I, I love everything about the concerts, and that was one of the best. I'm waiting for him to do something special over the next nine months. He did. No, I'm I'm talking about with the current environment or where the world is. Right. I thought his last album was, you know, right. That he's definitely has his own lane. He's super creative. He's distinct. Right. He's, he's. I agree. With you. I he, think he's probably the best he, right now. He, he's doing a lot in the community. Um, he's doing a lot in the city of Compton, where he's from. He's giving back. He's definitely giving back. Dre is giving back. And I think that's important because his message to the young kids in, in the inner city areas, which you're familiar with LA, um, is that it doesn't matter where you come from. Right. And what you're going, what you're going through, that if you just keep believing in your dream, you keep working hard and you don't get sidetracked, uh, by the negative stuff that you can make it. And he is a kid that actually did exactly that. I think he's done the best of anybody who became famous of keeping that. Without getting sidetracked by the other stuff. I'm talking about like right now, this moment. Music, I think, could have a difference the same way like you look at the late 60s and the 70s when Vietnam and Watergate, all that stuff, and music became this cathartic thing. It kind of brings the everything together. Rock music together. and the lyrics and certain songs, and it right. kind of captured it. I think Kendrick could do that for stuff like what we saw last week in Virginia. Yeah, you I know? think he's done that. I think he's done that and 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 um Pimp of a Butterfly, some of his other stuff. I, agree. I think if you listen to it, listen to I'm talking to his about lyrics. the Trump the Trump twisted part of it. Yeah. That's the part that is you know, sitting there right I mean, now. Yeah, I mean He's certainly the most qualified. He is, and there's a few other guys out there. I would say Kanye is one of those guys that I, I know I know I know it's a little different, but somebody who would attack a certain issue like that, you know, well, and wouldn't care about it. Kanye is my favorite. Right. I just don't, I don't, I've lost the faith in him well, to all, think that way at this point. Cause it seems like he's more interested in, in fashion and I don't know what he's with, interested with, in. With, with all creative geniuses, there's something out. off 
yeah, with them. He's a good example. There's something a little off. And the creativeness just doesn't probably stop or end with music with guys like him. Like Kanye's rare because he's a he's a hundred percenter. You know what that is? Yeah. A hundred percenter is a guy who can create a beat, make the music, and then write all the lyrics to it. There's not a lot of people in music like that. So that just tells you how creative he really is. So his creativeness goes beyond just music. Like he has a vision. He can see certain things that are going to happen or take place. He's a visionary as far as fashion and those different things. Like every shoe deal he's done has sold out. Yeah. Like nobody would buy Yeezys if his name was on, on those shoes. Those, those shoes are, are just regular shoes if he wasn't attached to it. That the Defiant ones did a great thing. Like Dre was obviously wired like that too, as we yeah. found out when he Still sold Bates for a gajillion dollars. Still but, is. But yeah, and he's another one who was like, how does this translate to what does outside he do? of music? What does he do? What, what's the best thing Dr. Dre does? He makes music, right? Beats. It was genius for them to come out with those Beats, yeah. phone, those beats headphones. Like, that's what he does. Like, that's... Dre living in that living like to, for everybody buying a pair of beats. That's Dre living in those headsets. Yeah. You can, you can feel Dre. You can hear Dre. Like that's, that's just him perfection. Right. So when you, when you put yourself into something and you're a part of it, people tend to gravitate towards it. I thought the best thing that that doc, I love that documentary and I, I keep watching it and picking up different pieces that, Obviously, my DNA, I've been involved in a bunch of them, and it's just really hard to make something that good. Right. And it took five years, and they spent a lot of money on it, and it was worth it. But one of the things I loved about it, you know, it's really about passion and what you believe in and where you, what you gravitate to and caring about something so much that it consumes you. And that's what I loved about the part with how much he cared about sound. Right. And how Ivan comes in. And they, they play him the chronic and he listens to it. And instead of just listening to the music, he's like, what the fuck? The sound, the sound's incredible. I can't like, he's you know hearing why, it though? as a producer. Jimmy was, Jimmy was an engineer. Yeah. So it's, he understood that the sound is everything. Like if you give me a dope sound and beat, yeah. I, don't, I don't give a fuck what you're saying over it. Right. You got me. If you got me moving and jumping and, and dancing to it, then you got me. Whatever you say is going gonna to sound masterful. Right. So that's an engineer hooking up with an engineer slash producer, which Jimmy kind of was a producer as well. And that's that's the connection. It's like beautiful. He, he heard he heard the music. And then when you have the dope lyricist on top of that, like. It's so funny that they're shopping the chronic around. And they can't get anybody to bite on it. It's a completed album. That was because of the drama that was going on around it. It was the lyrics, all that stuff. And people wasn't ready for that. Jimmy comes in, he doesn't even care. He's just like, Oh, it sounds great. Oh my, who did this? You did this yourself. It's such a cool part, but it's like, I, I've obviously loved Dr. Dre forever since, uh, you know, talking almost 30 years, but didn't really know that much about him because he's so private. Right. And when I heard they were doing this, my thought was, well, he's he's not going to give them anything. He's going to, but it was the opposite. Yeah. It was like he enters in the world. And my takeaway, and I don't know, obviously in documentaries, you can shape whatever perception you want. My takeaway was like, this is a guy who's like trapped in this world where he just loves sounds and beats 
and lyrics and making music. And they would have these shots of him in front of his board. And you can't fake that the way he was reacting to oh, the he things. Comes like alive, he, right? he, was, ah, he was just losing it. And right. I don't know, going back to sports, like I think those are the guys that succeed in sports too. The people that are breathing it. Like Brady, who's 40 now. Guy loves to win. He yeah. just I, all he wants to do is win football games and come through at the end of games, and that's who he is. He he breathes it. He he consumes it. And what I learned a long time ago is if you want to be great or you want to be consistent, then you have to do everything in your power. Every part of 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 you have has to be consumed in what you're doing. And he understands that. And he kind of understood that when he came in um, at an early age. That's why he was ready. Yeah. Like the moment wasn't too big for him. He watched a group of men do that day in and day out. The Ty Laws, the Brewskis, myself, all, all the different guys. He had some great vets on he, that team. He watched and he understood that. And he came in with a chip on his shoulder. He was a six-round pick. He was a guy who was passed over, who should have been a starter at Michigan. Yeah. Who wasn't so he was hungry and he started at a young age understanding what it took he watched us come in and be in a weight room at six in the morning he watched us watching film afterwards as a group he watched us not leave not rushing out of the building like he watched us compete over who drunk the most water who worked out the most that week every little thing that we did in that locker room he absorbed and he understood it and he was a part of it more importantly. So to see what he's doing now, taking everything to an entire whole nother level, he's just took that game and took it to another level. And that's why he continues to have success and to play at a high level and to have the hunger for the game. Most guys get complacent. Let's take a quick break to talk about my bookie. Ever since I started writing a column, and doing my podcast, people have been asking me for advice for whatever reason. Sometimes they wonder what team to bet on. You got the Patriots or the Steelers. You got Chicago or Detroit. Well, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. So here's an idea. Go to mybookie.ag. They've been in this business for years. Their reputation, rock solid. They do 100% cash bonuses. So off the bat, you're making money for doing nothing. And they have the fastest payout. Seriously, just two business days. They have in-game live betting the most rewarding player perks in the business and an all new mobile site that makes wagering on the go a breeze. I am scared to get into in-game live betting because it's probably going to happen this year. I think I'm finally ready. 2017. Tate, you do in-game live betting? Yeah. Eh. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, 2017's the year for me and Tate. Lay down some cash. Try to win big today. Join now and my bookie will match your deposit with up to a 100% bonus. Wow. Just visit mybookie.ag. And guess what? If you use the promo code Bill Simmons to activate that offer, you play, you win, you get paid. Mybookie.ag. And now here as promised, Willie McGinnis. When Mo Lewis hurt Drew, <clears throat> Brady comes in, what's the, what's the attitude of the team? Didn't matter for us on defense. We were just like, we got to go out and, and, and not give them anything. We can't let this team Did you score think there points. was any way – 
Was there any scenario in your head where you're like, uh-oh, Brady's got this job. He's nope. not giving it back now. Nah, it was too early. Yeah. Because at that point, we didn't know what Brady was. Nobody did. Nobody could sit here and say, oh, we knew what Brady was going to be. Man, maybe Belichick. <laughs> yeah. Because he, he's the one who didn't make the change when Drew got healthy. But nobody sat over there and said, oh, we know what Brady is. I remember like the, his third start was the San Diego game they came back. And that was the first time... <clears throat> I think all the all the Pats fans, at least, were like, hmm, what do we have here? Right. You know? Because it wasn't great up until then. Like, this first five games or whatever was just all right. Yeah. You beat the Colts, but it was like the Colts beat themselves right. more, more than anything. And then gets killed in Miami. Then you go to San Diego. And that, that was the first time. But I remember, I mean, living there was crazy that year because it turned into Bledsoe versus Brady almost immediately. Yeah. And everybody picks outside. sides. For the outside. The media picks sides. They got, they, and it was... One of the great sports radio topics of all time. You had to be on one side or the other. Right. There was no, well, I think it's like, are you Bledsoe or are you Brady? And that was it. And and uh, I was Brady the whole time. Just, just for the record. Why? You didn't know what Brady was. I thought Bledsoe, it hurts me to say this because I loved your Bledsoe, but I really thought that he had become severely overrated those last couple of years because he couldn't move. I didn't think, I thought there was technical. Well, neither one of them can move. Well, that's true, true. I thought there was, there was stuff, there was subtle stuff Brady was doing, like play action and just the efficiency of what he was doing felt different. And it felt like for what that team needed made right. more sense because we had a great defense. Um, we had a really good coach and it was like he made more sense for that team. I didn't know he was going to become what he became. Right. But, Bledsoe, it just it seemed like Bledsoe was heading in the wrong way. He'd taken a lot of hits in the nineties. He had just signed a hundred million dollar contract. And I remember worrying about that, that contract. Year. I remember worrying about it. Mm. So wait, go backwards a year. Belichick comes in, pretty weird circumstances, mm. quit the Jets, have to give up a first round pick for him. Uh not the most gregarious guy being interviewed. <laughs> um we were used to that, though. Yeah, so I was going to say, like, he comes in, you start working with him. Is it like Parcells's, Parcells's uh, baby clone? Or uh, what was different they, they about They were a little them? different, but he had his, his side to him and his demeanor and the way he coached. And remember, he was there, too, in 96. He was on the he yeah. was a defensive back coach. Special so. assistant yeah. defensive coordinator. Yeah, or whatever. so yeah. he was there alongside Al Groh, our uh, defensive coordinator. But um, he had his, his way. And you could tell immediately that he was going to incorporate his style of football and his style of player. And if you wasn't, you. if you wasn't on board, yeah, well, you didn't know. You know, I knew how I was, so I'm glad I was one of his guys. Um, but if you wasn't on board, or you didn't fit that prototype. You were out of there. Yeah. There's only there's only a small group of guys he kept. Everybody else was. I mean, it's like a revolving door. Guys were out of there. It was a certain type of guy. There's no question. Right. I mean, he loves, like, and I think both coaches in the same, they love a really tough football player. They want somebody that's that's tough, not just physically, but mentally. Like, when things start to break down, you don't break down. You don't lose focus. Um, they wanted somebody who made smart decisions, who didn't cost the team and do dumb stuff on a consistent basis. Yeah. Um, they wanted somebody that had good work ethic and that was key because if you didn't work or you didn't do extra work, 
um, they didn't take to you, you know? It's the most underrated. It, it doesn't sound like it's a talent, but it actually is. Work ethic is its own it's talent. It's hard. Yeah. It's not, guess what? Not fun to work out. Not fun to lift weights. Uh, not fun to get up at six in the morning. All the little things, man. It's, 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 it was so, it was, it was so much work to get to the games on Sunday. Yeah. Um, people don't understand, like, Sunday was a relief. Yeah. Like, Sunday was our fun time. It was our dessert. Like, it was the best part of us being on a team was Sundays. Yeah. Cause that was just fun day for us. It was just let it all go. Um, the, the work to get to Sunday, if you're going to be great, that's where you win. And we realized that early. And that's, I think that's the, the effect Belichick had on us as players that you win the football games during the week. You win the football games before the game gets here. That's going to determine how you perform or how you play or if you're going to win or lose. So we develop an attitude and a sense of thought that going into Sunday's game, we knew we were going to kick somebody's ass before we even lined up. We just knew it. Yeah. And we can line up and go out and look at guys and watch them. And we knew we already had them before we even, the ball was snapped. You must tell your daughters play sports. Mine does too. <laughs> I was, when they're, ah, I don't want to go to practice. And it's, it kills it's, you me. You give the speech, right? And they don't, hey, this and they is don't, the part that matters. They the don't practice. listen. And yeah. they still don't listen. <laughs> they don't listen. You know, my older daughter's starting to get it. She's 13, playing volleyball. She's starting to get it. She understands. And I'm talking to her. I'm like, baby, you got to do this. You got to work. And when she first started, I was like, this club volleyball costs a lot of money. Yeah. Now, you could play at school and have fun, and it won't cost me nothing. But if you want to do it for real, we're going to do it for real. Like, you're going to work. I'm investing in you. You're right. Yeah. I'm going to work. I'm going to support you. But you're going to work and you're going to be good at it. I want you to be good at it. I want you to waste our time or money. If you want to do it just for fun and you're not serious, you can just play at school. So I gave her the choice. I was like, what do you want to do? She, I was like, do you like it or do you love it? She's like, dad, I love it. I said, okay. Okay. Then we're all in. Yeah. Then don't complain about our Monday practice because <laughs> your legs in. hurt. We're all we're in. We're going. <laughs> <laughs> um, Belichick, the ultimate Belichick games for me. 03 Colts, 04 Colts. I guess the playoffs. So it was like January 04, January 05. At home in there, right? At home. Yeah. The, uh, the three pick, like, was that the three interception game from well, Todd? That first one was, the first yeah. One. Right. But, uh, I felt like we broke Manning by the end of that, that last playoff game. Right. Bad weather both times, just so physical with the, and then of course Manning goes to a whole other level, but it really did feel like we broke him by the end of that. Last Colts playoff game. I was like, that's it. We figured this guy out. He's not tough enough. We're in his head. You would think that, man. Yeah, that guy happen. just didn't. It, no. Didn't happen. No. He, uh, he's rare. Was he the scariest QB you played against? Yeah. He's one of. Give definitely. me the list. I mean, I had, I, I had three Hall of Famers in my division. I had Jim Kelly. I had Dan Marino and I had Peyton. And if you count Brady, he'll, you know, he'll be one. That's just in my division. I played against Aikman. Played against Elway, played against Montana, played against Young. And then you drifted into the 2000s. I mean, yeah. You got a little Breeze in there. Breeze, Vic. Like, yeah. I can go down to Vic in Atlanta. Well, Vic's got to be the scariest Air Vic. one. Yeah, yeah. Air Vic. Yeah. Yeah, you're not, the, you're the, not the chasing Vic experience. him. Think about it. Um, Warren Moon. I mean, I played against all these guys. So, it. 
I think I played against the the greatest quarterbacks ever. I don't think there'll ever be like a span of great quarterbacks that anybody will play against that I did. Yeah. That's true. You did bridge like three different eras, basically. Yeah. Did you play you Roethlisberger you played against? Ben, big Ben. Yeah. You're not tackling him. You need some help tackling I him. I tackled him and I, he, he he threw me off a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> He's a monster. He's a linebacker playing quarterback. What's the worst type of quarterback to try to play against? The the Michael Vick type or the Roethlisberger type? Um, both. I mean, it it's different because the scramblers you can hope can just keep yeah, them in the ben, pocket, but make ben some mistakes. Ben could scramble. Ben right. could run, and he was strong. Yeah, you know, and he can avoid, and he can, you could hit him, and he could still throw the ball. You know, thirty yards, forty yards down the field. So, Vick. You had to rush him a certain way because if you didn't cautiously rush, keep him a certain way, he changed every, every, every dimension. The way we, we went and prepared against a, to rush a quarterback, we had to change for him. Cause if you didn't contain him or keep him in the pocket, you keep him in the pocket and he's throwing over those giants. That's what you want. When he's out on the edge scrambling and doing all that, I mean, he's a big play waiting to happen. So you can't win. And there are certain guys that didn't move. Yeah. Like Jim Kelly did not move out of the pocket. He'd take every hit you issued. Marino, too. Well, he couldn't, Marino couldn't move. Marino after he did a little side steps. Achilles, but yeah. he had one of the fastest releases ever. Yeah. So there's certain guys that you had to play different. Marino, the scariest of my lifetime is still Elway 1A, Marino 1B. Cause both just because they killed the Patriots forever. Right. But Marino, the release, it was just once he got in the groove, it just you just felt helpless. This one time I was hitting Marino, and I swear we were going down to the ground, and he flicked the ball with his wrist for about a fifteen yard out. <laughs> I mean, he had one of the fastest releases, and I watched it, and I thought I had a sack. Like yeah. I got up and I got the you know feeling myself, and I'm looking down the field, and I'm like, he got that out. Like his release was the best. In my opinion, out of any quarterback I've ever played against, his release. You, do you agree that Brady is the GOAT now, or do you think that nobody can be the GOAT? <sighs> I think uh, I think I do think Brady is the GOAT. I think when you talk about playing at a certain level, what, 17 years in now, going on 18? It's, it's unprecedented. It's up there. It's ridiculous. And, they're still, and you're still pretty much – you could have won an MVP. It was between you and 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 and, and, and Matt. Um, he missed four games. Is the only reason. And some Why people say, and games? some people say he still yeah. was the MVP. Yeah. He was the MVP of the Super Bowl again, and he broke records in the Super Bowl. The rules have obviously gone in his favor the last seven eight years because, you know, if if football was played the way it was played in 03 and 04. Right, I don't man. think any QB could play 17 Well, a lot years. of players couldn't play the game. Yeah, yeah. This is not, not just happening. quarterbacks. Right. There are a lot of players that, in my opinion, are not tough guys that wouldn't last. Like, right. you, get away, you get away with so much. Like, you know, they, they they put the Chuck rule in because of us, what we did to Indianapolis. They complained. You said they. It was really just Bill Polian who's bitter. Pretty much. I mean, Do you have to do TV with him? No, no, you guys are on different channels. Him. No, yeah, he's on. He I don't respect him. I think he's a crybaby. I respect him because of what he put together. You know, <laughs> I, and, I respect and our competitor, him too. but I didn't like every time we did something or. <laughs> yeah, I mean it happens when you. I mean, I, and that's that's one of the reasons why people people don't like the way we play because we would find 
regardless of what it is, we would start doing stuff and then they would come up with these rules. But I remember the Rams game. The 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 Rams game nobody remembers is it was like week ten that same year, the first Super Bowl season. Yeah. Sunday night. Pat's lost, but it was super physical. Barely. It was the first time as a fan I was like, Oh, what do we have here? There's this team might actually be something. That was 2001, right? It was 2001. Yeah. It was a Sunday night. I'm going to say it was week 10, and you went toe-to-toe, and the Rams were like this unstoppable team. I think team. we fumbled and gave them the ball back. Yeah, and you they screwed up. Scoring. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you, know, you know what's special about that game that everybody talks about what the players do, that we remember? We walked off the field saying that we're definitely going to see them again, mm-hmm. and when we see them, that we was going to whip we their We know ass. the recipe, yeah. Yeah. Who's gonna want their ass? Yeah. Like we we said that as a team. Like if we play them again, it's on. Just because of how I mean they 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 were the greatest show, you know, hearing the greatest show on turf and all those different things. And they were a great team. But we said it. We said it in the locker room. I can I can I can play back the conversations in my head with the guys. Like, we're gonna see them again. Yeah. And when we do, it's gonna be a different outcome. With the new rules, that team might have been unstoppable. If you basically just not allowed to hit them and do anything, well, you I don't even know what you do. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what you do in that scenario because Warner was out of his mind. Falk was at the at the peak of Falk, and they had receivers that could do stuff. And, yeah. and you know what? They had an underrated defense that people don't talk about, yeah, they but did. they had one of the top defenses in the league. I don't think they even. In the second half, we barely moved the ball. Yeah. They had one of the top defenses. People never talk about that defense. Was it you did the penalty when we were going to win the Super Bowl, but then they called the back the touchdown down the sideline? That was. That, that was you to, threw down I, Marshall Falk, right? I feel bad about that. That was to Bucky Jones, who got the, the fumble recovery, took it to the house. And yeah. The backside, we're on the backside. We had a play called, uh, we were like playing uh, one funnel, which means me and Brewski, we have the backs and tight ends. Falk was offset to me. If he goes out to the flat, I got him. If he goes inside, Brew, Brew has him. He did an angle route, started out to me, then he went inside. I look over, Brewski took off. He was chasing Kurt because the because they yeah. start to scramble the other way. So Brew took off. So I was like, I'm not going to let him run free and he'd be the guy. So I made an executive decision. I tackled him. But half the time they don't call that though. Not on the back the right side move. of the play. It yeah, has yeah, nothing yeah. to do. It didn't affect the play at all. I was yeah. surprised. And it was late. It was late. It was a little I mean, fishy. Tabucky was like 25 yards down the field in the hit. And I'm looking at the ref like, don't do it. Don't do it. And it just seems like that was the slowest moment of my career. The flag just comes out. I'm like, are you serious? It was a terrible call. I'm like, it didn't even affect the play. No. Nah. Like that game wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been close if that would have happened. He was, I was sitting in the sideline where Vinatieri, I was in the end zone where Vinatieri hit the game winner. You were? Did so you he jump? Was, Did you jump up? Oh my Did God. You go crazy? Well, but he was running down the sideline with, our, we were going to win the Super Bowl. And then the flag 10 seconds later, it's like, what? Everyone had already celebrated it. I know. And that was where all the Boston DNA kicks in. You're like, oh, we're going to lose. Was oh, I, here we go. Was I to go at that point? I no, the goat was oh we got we're getting screwed again like we got screwed with Sugar Bear Hamilton. Right, it was more of a bad call. Right, I don't even know if they replayed it on the whatever. You uh, never, you were too good. Nobody, to be the goat. nobody saw it. Like nah. it wasn't. <laughs> I was surprised, but I did look at the guy. I was like, don't do it. And I was like, oh shit. It is crazy that that team won the Super Bowl with how uh, 
I wouldn't call it an offensive powerhouse. You know, no, like, it wasn't. It's just even like being able to go. I think Brady only threw for 112 nah, yards or a couple 14 touch. points in the first half, and then that was it. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. Troy Brown was really the only kind of game breaking skill guy that team had. The 03 04 teams, the 04 team with, with Dylan, I think, was kind of the most yeah. well rounded well, team. Well, the offense changed. Yeah. You know, well, that Moss was just got a great there, team. You know, when they had Moss and West. Oh, seven. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, the offense. Quickly caught up. <laughs> what year did you leave? I left in was it oh five oh six? Yeah, you left after the third Super Bowl. Yeah. Belichick. Well, no, I stayed one more year. I stayed one yeah, more yeah, year. But we I mean, lost you were there Denver. for all three. We lost to Denver in the playoffs. I believe it was. I. Jake Plummer, Ben Watson fumble the Ben Watson strip that they said went out at the one inch line when it went out of the end zone when the defensive still back ran it all the way down. Game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. champion. Um, Belichick cuts the cord with his vets one to three years early. That's been his move for two decades. And for the most part, it's, it's, you can't argue with the results. I mean, obviously this has been one of the most successful franchises in any sport. You were one of those vets. Yeah. We were talking before, uh, we taped this about how at some point when you're a vet, and you're near the tail end, like Vince Wilfork's another good example, Laura Malloy, Ty Law. I mean, the list goes on and on. You almost have more value outside the Patriots than you do on the Patriots because this outside team's looking and they're like, we need a vet. We need a leader. We need somebody who's been in some wars and won some rings. We need that guy. He's worth more to us. And that's how this keeps happening. Are you... 5% bitter about it like all these years later or not bitter at all? I'm not bitter. I understand it was a business and it did hurt to leave because I wanted to retire a Patriot, which I ended up doing after yeah, yeah. after I was done. Um, but I do understand um, the business aspect of the game and how things work. And, uh, you know, in my situation, it was like we couldn't communicate on a number. Yeah. And well, yes, a Cleveland coming in with a big number. Yeah, I but, mean, for but I didn't even entertain that until I figured there was like they were they were waiting pretty much to the market soften. And Pioli was the GM at the time, and he understood like right before that. Remember, Ty Law had gotten an offer from the Patriots, and he said it was disrespectful. He went in, you know, he went in with in in the papers, and it, it became a big thing. So Pioli was a little cautious with me because of the respect that they didn't want to disrespect me. And I would have stayed for less, yeah. um, but it was just no communication on what that less was. So time ringing out, free agency drying up, you got to make moves. You got to move around. You got to let people know. And some people thought we had a deal on the table. That was put out there too, which we didn't. So mm -hmm. we had to let people know that, yeah, this is my first choice. I want to stay here. I want to be a patriot. Um, this is home. But at the end of the day, there's nothing, there's no movement here. So I have to go out and at least visit other teams. And out of respect, you know, um, it was a good fit in Cleveland because Romeo was there, ran the same defenses. I knew what he was trying to create there, the culture and what he was trying to instill in um, the locker room and all those different things. And the number was right. But before I even entertain that again, you know, my people call the Patriots out of respect. Like, hey, this is what they're. This is what they're offering. This is what they're doing. Before I entertained a deal or signed or did anything, 
Um, and you know, the conversation was, Hey, we, we wasn't close to that number and we understand, but we can't do that. So at that point I had three Super Bowls. It's my 12th season. That's the thing. It's, it's a little like Kyrie Irving right now. He won a ring. It's time to. It's my 12th season. Right. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to play. How many more years am I going to play? You know, that was a four year deal. Um, actually a three year deal. When you have the ring or the rings it's in different. your case, it's, it's the, the thought process changes a little. It does because a lot of players, you, you want to get paid. You want to maximize your, your talent and yeah. get paid as much as possible. But if you're one of these guys, like let's say Randy Moss, why he went to the Patriots or some of these guys now, like Darrell Revis, who's made a ton of money. Now you look and say, I want to go somewhere where I can win a ring. That's why we play the game. Yeah. We don't, we play the game to win Lombardi's um, and to make money. They go hand in hand. So once you do one, you definitely want to do the other. Or if you can do them simultaneously at the same time, that's a perfect scenario. It's a perfect world. Um, but because of the success you have on a team like Seattle, like some of these other teams, you can't retain all the talented players all the time. You can't keep everybody together. Well, especially the, the cap is designed no, for you to lose changed. these guys. Yeah. It's changed now. Back in the day, yeah, you could retain and keep everybody. But how does, now, that, but how does that hurt the camaraderie on a team when year after year this big, important veteran is leaving? And you just know like, well, I, I'm giving it a mile. We're trying to ring ring. But when my time's going to come, it's going to come. He's going to get rid of me. I could, I could honestly say that it happened to guys before me. It happened to Drew. It happened to a uh, lawyer. Yeah. And lawyer was a little different because of Rodney coming in. Yeah. Um, different dynamic. Um, I, I really didn't think about it. Yeah. My thing is that I'm just going to play at a high level and compete. So I'm going to give it all here. Like right now, this is where I am. And then if my time, if, if it comes up to a situation where my time is now, then I'm going to have some value somewhere else. I get that. We heard Brady talk about that in an explicit interview that, you know, he would love to play there forever and be whatever, but they brought up, well, what if, you know, you've seen other, other veterans leave and other guys go and they got this young quarterback behind you. He's like, Jimmy G. Our, 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 our mindset is I'm going to show you that I could still do it somewhere else too. I get it. It may not be you here. You guys are like boxers. Yeah. I, I get it. It may not be here, but yeah. I'm going to go somewhere else and still play. And it's not the same. And you don't want to do that. I didn't want to do that, but. That's the nature of the business. It hurt not- to see in a Browns jersey. I will, on behalf of all the Pats fans, I feel comfortable saying that. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it was not right. It was different, but I had a lot of respect for Browns yeah, no, fans. Yeah, I mean, it's how football goes. You, yeah. you almost every time the guy's going to end his career on a different team. It's just right. the way it goes. Right. Um, I agree with you that I think there's like a five percent chance Brady retires on a different team. Yeah. Because I think out of anybody, he's going to have a lot of trouble walking away. And he, I think he's in great think shape. So? I think he thinks he can play till he's 45. I think he said that. But I think realistically, he's smart enough to know if he's hurting the team. Like, he's he's so unselfish, and it's not it's never about him. I know, but he's not even close to hurting the team. You right, know? but that's, that's what I'm saying. Is, but when, when, if, when or if he gets to that point, 
then he will walk away. But when you said that about Peyton Manning in Denver and he was ready to come back another year, he was terrible that last year. His body he was, was broken he, down. He was. He would have taken like if the Rams had said, "Come be our QB I don't for a year," think he would have so, done though. it. I think he was done. I think he. I think he. He, he rolled off into the sunset, and he knew. Let's give Tate the tie-breaking vote. Tate, you believe that? What? You think Manning would have come back for one more year after he won a Super Bowl? The Super Bowl got it for him. It sucked. Okay. <laughs> there you go. He won. Like, if he didn't win a Super Bowl, maybe. But the way and he needed a tie. He know that it wasn't because of him either. Why they won that Super Bowl? That's got to kill you, right? Yeah, that's got to be tough. He knew that. Like, who was the MVP? It was Von Miller. Like you knew in they that won game, despite Manning. You knew, yeah. yeah. You knew in that game. Like at the end of the okay, everybody was like, "Bro, you, you, you have nothing else to prove." You must have been excited to see Von Miller get a Super Bowl. I mean, you must feel a kinship with these defensive dudes. I, I mean, I love Von Miller. Like he's one of the best guys, man. He's 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 an animal. Who's the best who ever played your position? Outside linebacker Lawrence Taylor. Who's second? <sighs> That's tough. Because I think everyone agrees not, LT is the best. I'm not just because I don't like the system I played in. I didn't just rush. Yeah. I rushed and I dropped maybe 30, 35% of the time. So it takes away from my sacks. Yeah. So when you, when you talk about a player like that, somebody who does it all, it's, it's, it's hard. So, so you feel true, like there's I, too much specialization. No, though. a true outside linebacker does it all. He's just not a pass rusher. So I would have to find a guy who did all that. Like Andre Tippett was one of those guys that could do it all in the coverage. Von Miller drops in pass rushes. Like on third down, his hand is in the dirt. Yeah. Certain, you know, certain formations dictate whether he's in coverage or not. Um, there's other guys like Derek Thomas was one of my guys. He, he didn't was, drop, he, he didn't ridiculous. drop a lot, but yeah. you know, he's just, he's special. And that's who kind of Von Miller reminds me of. But, a true outside linebacker, in my opinion, does everything. Yeah. Um, what was your best win? Probably the 2001 Super Bowl. Two reasons. One, I was coming off back surgery. And when you're sitting in the hospital bed off back surgery, you kind of start to have doubts if you're going to be the same player, if you're going to be able to play again. Yeah. And that was a little scary for me. And to be able to rehab that whole summer, come back and be in the Super Bowl and make plays and and win it was special too. Uh, nobody gave us an uh, a chance. To that win was the that ultimate. Game. Nobody believes nobody. in this team. Nobody, because you had two weeks, but the week before with the Steelers, same thing. Nobody. They're planning their Super Bowl party. That was great for us. Yeah, we loved it. We that's went, the most. That's we the most underrated factor, right? And, and, yeah, it, it was. It was. And, and we fed off that so much. People just don't understand. Like you should, there's certain things you shouldn't do to teams before yeah. you play them to motivate. You know, we heard about the Rams getting size for for a double, a double ring <laughs> right. thing. We heard about Pittsburgh making their plans and all the stuff that they had going on. It, you, our our coach is masterful at using everything on the outside and just feeding us all week. And just burning us up. And there's so much that we wanted to say and talk during that week or being in the media, but we knew we just, that, that wasn't us. And when it was game time, we just unleashed it all. That was the curse of the 19 and 0 Pats, was the one time they didn't have that chip. 
because they became the the team that everybody else was saying nobody believes in us. Everybody believes in that Patriots team, and it was like it flipped on Belichick. How do you motivate a team that's trying to go nineteen and zero? I think he finds ways. I think he he still find ways because every game is like, you know, we're not talking about nineteen and zero. We're not talking about the undefeated. Yeah. And then when you're in the game, it's not realistic. When you're in the game, it's like nobody believes you guys can go undefeated. You flip it. Nobody believes you guys are going to do this. There's only one team that's ever done it, and nobody believes in you. Yeah. And then you sit here like, we got to go out and make history. <laughs> we got to go out and do something special. Then it special. turns into nobody believes David Tyreek can catch a pass off his helmet. And one of the strongest guys I played with at safety, Rodney Harrison, wasn't able to jar it off. Like, Yeah. Come I, on, Rodney Harrison. Like, he was ripping at it. Like, I just don't understand why don't that understand ball. It. That's I may or may have watched that play 790 times, and I don't understand it. I don't think it could be recreated ever. No. no. Where are your rings? In a safety deposit box? They are safe. Yeah, they're in the safe. I yeah, don't... everybody tries to win a ring for years and years, and then they just put them in a box. What are you going to do? I mean, those rings so are so big now for for New England. Like, you just can't, especially Brady. He has five rings. Like, you can't even close your, your, your hands with, with those rings. He could have, like, the sickest necklace of all time if he wanted. The could. sickest gold chain with the five rings. You he just could. walk around like a. You can get. You can get. You can get tribesmen. Yeah, you can get the little pendants and do all that, and, and usually it was for the women. But you can make a dope chain. But that's that's somebody you'll probably never see wear his ring except for at the ring ceremony or when you when you when you tell him he has to bring it. Or like a like a special like you're wearing a very nice earring right now. Not a if not a done, ring thing. If they had done a Super Bowl earring, but in the in the when ring. you have that many. Yeah. People know you have It's them. a you great problem. To, you don't have to wear them. People know it. Like, if you have one, like, I see guys with one, and no, like, I respect, like, I don't care how many you want. If you win one, you want one. Like, that's the best thing ever. But the guys that I see with one, they wear them all the time. Yeah. The guys that I see with multiple rings, they never wear them because people know you've you've done it. And it's a little gaudy to walk around with multiple yeah. Super Bowl rings on all the time. You had the three, but you also had the 21 game winning streak, which I don't think Belichick gets enough credit for. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. 21 straight. I know. It was a big deal at the time. It's still a big deal for me. Yeah. That's a special number. Great. There's a lot of close wins in that streak, too. Most games are won by three points or less in the NFL. That team, that, that, Stretch. I've never seen a team what that was just was a stretch. Oh, it was oh three and oh four together. Oh four, yeah, yeah, together. But yeah. it was like that team was just like if it's fourth quarter and it's three point game, we're winning. That's the attitude I was telling you about yeah. earlier. That we went into those games like no matter what happened during the game, we knew in our mind we're at the end of the day we're going to win. Last question, just for the Colts fans did oh. you, Did you fake the injury no. in the fourth quarter? Okay. No. One thing about being injured, if you've ever been injured, the one thing you hate is being injured and not being out there, and you yeah. will never fake it because if it happens for real, you're bummed out. And I, I got my knee caught up in the turf. Yeah. And if I was faking, I would have came in the very next play. Remember, I left out, and I didn't come back to the fourth play. Okay. So I was on the sideline trying to work it out, but I was fine. Because the Colts fans. I know. 38-34, fourth down stop on James. And then you ran fifty five yards with you your, see with the your arm up. You didn't see the little limp. You were flying on that on that celebration. I was, man. But my whole thing is, so what if he did fake the injury? We won the game. Is the goal to win the game? I would have came back in the very yeah. next play if I was faking. Yeah. It's like typical sour grapes. Why would grapes. I sit out why would I sit out two extra plays? Typical sour grapes from the Colts fans. <laughs> the same city that gave, that tried to get the flake gate going. 
We're on to you, Colts fans. And I got the choke, the choke, the chuck rule. Got the rules changed. I'm still, I, I still enjoy every Pats. I enjoyed all the competitions with the Colts, man. We had some good battles. Willie, this was fun. Can I ask you you a question? Yeah, ask me a question. You know, I'm going to ask you. I'm I'm, I'm newly and fresh on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I see you looking over there. Can we check his Instagram account? Because I don't have a lot of followers. I'm new at this. I'm going to follow you as soon as we're done. I don't know. I follow like my daughter and like 20 people. I'm I'm, I'm boring too, but I just need, you know, you're you're like a a big time. You're you're like a big deal. (laughs) You're like a big deal. I don't have three rings. You're still a big deal. What's your Instagram handle? At Willie McGinnis. All right. I'm going to follow you. We'll pump it up. Okay. Thanks, Willie. Thank you, This was fun. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much to Willie. Thanks to SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor. Thanks to Miller Lite, the official sponsor of the Ringer.com's relaunch. Thanks to Gillette. I told you before, Gillette razor blade edge is thinner than a single brain cell, and that's the product of many brain cells at work, namely the thousands of men and women at Gillette, always working harder to make your shave better. Now you can get Gillette blades for less at GilletteOnDemand.com. Gillette, the best a man can get. Pricing applies to select products and is at the sole discretion of the retailer, please go to the ringer.com. We have a ton of football preview stuff up, especially if you're getting ready for your fantasy draft, football bets, whatever you got going. We have it all at the ringer.com. We have these little hashtags on our cool little site. Now, if you, if you do click on the NFL preview link, all the NFL pieces come up. Don't forget about the ringer NFL show. We have Kevin Clark and Robert Mays twice a week, counting down their 33 biggest uh, questions heading in the season. Mike Lombardi and Tate Frazier on GM street. That one's heated up too. They did blue chippers for offense. They did blue chippers for defense. And then this week, Lombardi is going to rank the NFL coaches. Is that from one to 32? Yeah. Oh, wow. I wonder where Belichick's going to rank. Put it this way. Belichick's lower than one. I'm fighting everybody. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully I won't have to beat everybody up. Don't forget about the rewatchables. Don't forget about House of Carbs. Don't forget about Cousin Sal's Shore Thing. Don't forget about Ringer FC, our four most recent soccer podcast and also speaking of football lombardi is doing a bunch of preview videos that we've been putting up all week on theringer.com so check those out the bs podcast is back on friday thanks for listening